0: Welcome to At the Threshold, a podcast for ministry leaders during this new, unsettled season in the life of the church. We are your hosts, Ashley Alley Crawford and Shelly Pitts, and we are both clergy in the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church, comprised of approximately a thousand churches in the states of Kansas and Nebraska. Shelly works with Clergy Faith and Wellness with the Great Plains Conference.
1: And Ashley is the Clergy Recruitment and Development Coordinator, and we're sharing this from the Office of Clergy Excellence. Our focus here in At the Threshold is to host a conversation with and for clergy in order to describe what's happening, ask questions to help get us unstuck, and encourage the heart of pastors and leaders in this liminal time in which we find ourselves. Liminal may be a new word. But a new season calls for a new word. Liminal means a threshold from what we've always known to, well, we don't know just yet what life and ministry is becoming. Our goal here is to find a little light at the threshold.
0: In our conversations, we are seeking to describe some of the dynamics that we're seeing and identify some questions and possibilities that are bubbling up for us. Ultimately, we hope you leave today with your heart encouraged in some way. Each time we gather, it's our hope that you'll glean one or two things to think about, act upon, or pray through. Well, we wanna welcome everyone who's joining us today for our conversation. Our topic today is very timely. Uh, We're approaching a national election Uh, that has been very painful and divisive that division plays out on a formal debate stage uh, but informally on every single news program and even on the commercial breaks in between we find this divisiveness even at times um, in our churches and around the family dinner table this division does come at a cost to us in the church when we read scripture, we're encouraged to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And we see how the church is is connected to one another as the body of Christ. And we read John 17, Jesus's prayer, and then he prays that all believers would be one so that the world would know that Jesus was sent by the Father. Well, our unity and sometimes our lack of it is a witness to Jesus's work in the world. But sometimes we in the church... Um, And as Christians, we send confusing messages to those who are watching uh, because of how we're uh, representing divisive viewpoints. And this is true, not just about uh, the national election.
1: We've invited two people to help us think today about engaging in these difficult conversations in our local congregations. First, we welcome Reverend Nancy Lambert, a very familiar presence in the Great Plains Conference. Nancy is the Director of Clergy Excellence and Assistant to the Bishop. She grew up in a small town in Northeast Nebraska and has been a lifelong United Methodist. Prior to entering ministry, she was a teacher and owner of a small business with her husband. She is passionate about helping people use the gifts that God has given them. She did this as a pastor in her local church and in her current position where she encourages and supports clergy and develops quality educational opportunities to help them grow in their ministry. In addition to her current appointment, Nancy has served a small church, a county seat church, and as an associate in one of our large churches. Nancy, we welcome you today. We also are so excited to welcome the Reverend Dr. Leah Shade. Dr. Shade is the Assistant Professor of Preaching and Worship at Lexington Theological Seminary in Lexington, Kentucky. She is an ordained minister in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America and has pastored three Pennsylvania congregations in suburban, urban, and rural contexts. Her her book about Preaching in the Purple Zone, Ministry in the Blue-Red Divide, which came out in 2019, explores how clergy and churches can address controversial social issues using nonpartisan, biblical, biblically-centered approaches and deliberative dialogue. It's this book and her work that brings her to our conference. She will be the featured speaker for our 2021 Orders and Fellowship event for clergy coming up at the first of the year. In addition to Preaching in the Purple Zone, she has authored several other books, which we will list in our episode page. Dr. Shade, thank you for joining us, and we welcome you to our conversation today. Thank as you. we get started, yes, as we get started, we're going to ask both of you to tell us something that didn't show up in your biography, and maybe something that you have noticed over these past few months as we have, as we have been grappling with the pandemic. Nancy, we'll start with you.
2: Okay. Thanks. am glad to be here today. And as I was thinking about what else to share, I um, realized that I often, when I have an opportunity, I'm encouraging clergy to take their vacation and to have hobbies and things to do so that they separate from the work of ministry. So I thought that's what I would share today. So um, my husband and I uh, camp. And so our vacations are almost always two weeks camping someplace where we enjoy often it's in the mountains. Um, We also ride bikes together. Um, It took me several years before I found a 20 mile bike ride to be something that I would call fun, but it is something that I enjoy doing with my husband. I also uh, like to sew and um, used to make all of my clothes. Now I quilt and uh, make things for my granddaughters. So those are the things that I enjoy and that uh, separate me, give me breaks from the work of ministry. Um, I guess the things that I have noticed the most in the, the last six months is that, um, you know, we, we, all, we talk a lot as pastors about needing to, to be aware of change and that the, one of the certainties in life is change and death. And those are the only two things we can count on happening. And in the last six months, we have had changed imposed upon us very abruptly and very significantly that has energized some people, both clergy and congregations and for others, um, it has meant it, um, a level of exhaustion
1: that they wouldn't otherwise see.
3: Thank you so much. And we'll turn to you, Dr. Shade, same questions. Thank you, Ashley and Shelley, and Nancy for inviting me to be part of this and really looking forward to working with your conference and with the pastors and, and engaging this conversation today. There are two things that uh, are not in my bio that uh, people may find interesting. First of all, my husband and I have two kids. Um, my daughter is 17, my son is 13. So we are, uh, uh, we are pandemicking with teens, which is um, always fun. <laughs> and um, the other thing is that I'm also a musician. I am um, a professional musician. I play the harp and I uh, teach both harp and piano lessons and uh, have a CD. And so in the f- free time that I get, I try to um, play music, uh, play the piano, play the harp. And um, you know, teaching young students to to learn music gets me back to the basics and is a very um, fundamental part of of who I am, and it connects me with my teaching roots. So that those are two things that uh, are interesting. In terms of what I've noticed in the last six months, I'm actually going to uh, do a screen share here. I want to show. Um, I want to show uh, everyone. Um, Uh, some charts and I had done a a research project funded by the Wabash Center for Teaching and Learning where we worked with pastors and clergy on uh, the sermon dialogue sermon method that I developed and we did surveys and interviews with them both before and after the project and in this last round which we did in September I asked the uh, the pastors to tell me what is it like to be a pastor in 2020. And here you can see some of the words that uh, that come up. The biggest words are the ones that they share most often, and challenging was a huge word there. Um, you also see uh, words like exciting and community. So. At the beginning of the pandemic, there was sort of this feeling of, "Okay, we can do this. Let's let's all pull together, and we're kind of learning as we go, and and uh, we're learning new things and expanding." But now we're into what I would call the siege mentality, because we are we don't know when this is going to end. There's been a lot of um, pushback, um, tug and pull within congregations. Do we open the building? Do we not? Um, do we have to mask? Do we not have to mask? Do we, so, how do we social distance? So there's a lot of um, strain around that. We also asked the lay leaders that we trained in this process, what is it like to be a parishioner in 2020? And here you can see their words, the ones that came up most often, where Zoom and virtual were most prominent. And you see a lot of uh, really positive words here, um, that, that people are finding ways to be unified and bonded and checking on each other and phone calls and, and finding new ways to connect. But when you put these two right next to each other, you can see that there are stark differences between what pastors are experiencing and what, um, cler- uh, what, what lay leaders and parishioners are experiencing. And what what we're finding is that uh, a lot of parishioners don't always know what pastors are going through to try to create a positive church experience during this time of pandemic. And while they're doing a lot of work to create these services on Zoom and sometimes in person and trying to make it as seamless as possible, that's really wearing on pastors. It's, it's almost overwhelming to try to do both and to deal with all of the political divides. And um, I think it's it's just worth noting that uh, pastors are under a lot of strain right now. And uh, so to be gentle with them and know that they are doing their, their best to try to navigate this time with their congregations.
0: Thank you so much. That's really helpful um, and a really telling image. Uh, so we, we really appreciate you bringing that to us today. Well, Nancy, I want to I wanna ask you to kind of give us a little bit of background for us. Would you tell us how it came to be that you and the bishop and the cabinet and, and, and the folks who were planning Orders and Fellowship, how did how did you um, learn about the work that Leah's done and, and how did you decide to make this a focus for Orders and Fellowship? Uh, sure, I'd be, glad. I'd be glad to share that. Yeah. So um usually
2: um, beginning in the spring of every year, I'm um, trying to put together a list of possible either topics or ideas of people that we might consider inviting for orders and fellowship. My greatest ease is to have that person identified and committed by. July, for sure, and uh, most years I don't achieve that. <laughs> it takes longer for the bishop to be ready to, to figure out what kind of focus that we want to do, and so he had um, actually purchased Leah's book uh, shortly after it was published, I think, is what he said, and so had it in his bookshelf, had read, at least had started reading it, and um, this summer... Um, He, between the conversations with the cabinet and and emails that the bishop was receiving himself, um, came to be aware of of tensions that clergy were experiencing with their congregations in trying to um, preach to the current realities that we were experiencing, whether it was the the uh, pandemic, whether it was the racial tension um, and anti-racism or whether it had anything to do with the denominational quandary that we were in with the delay of general conference. And so um, he was getting emails from uh, parishioners who were upset with their pastor and he was hearing from the cabinet, the pushback that pastors were receiving. Uh, from their congregations um, in their, in their sermons. And so as we began th- uh, having some additional conversation about orders and fellowship, he came in, he sent me a, an email one day and just said, check with Leah Shade, the author of this book and see if she's available. And um, And that was the only name that he had come up with. And so it was like, oh, my goodness, I was so surprised when she actually was available um, that I didn't have to keep expanding the list of possibilities. But she was available, so I arranged a conversation with Leah and Bishop and myself and, and um, uh, the conversation with the bishop, I think maybe he was on for about half an hour, I think. And then Leah and I just continued having further conversation and, and looking at what what were our objectives in having her come. And so we gradually talked about the workshops and, and carrying orders and fellowship um, into Uh, practical experience for the clergy and uh, presented that to the cabinet and they all endorsed it. And so that's what we've gone with. It's this uh, program that includes not only orders and fellowship, but the workshops then that clergy can um, actually practice her sermon dialogue sermon method. So I'm really excited about this.
0: Well, that's great. Thanks. I think we'll hear a little bit more about how that the shape it's going to
1: take a little bit later. So thank you, Nancy, for bringing her on board. And uh, Dr. Shade, we'd love to hear from you of what got you started in doing this work of bridging the divide between red and blue. And how do we make sense of this? What what,
3: um, tweaked your interest at the beginning? Yeah, great question. Before I got into the purple zone, I was in the green zone, meaning that I'm really interested in how pastors preach about creation care issues. My doctoral thesis was on uh, homiletics and ecological theology. That's always been a passion of mine. But in doing that work and working with pastors, I found that that issue has really been politicized. And pastors are very hesitant sometimes to address uh, caring for God's creation in the pulpit. And I thought, well, how can we help pastors to navigate that? And then the more i thought about it, it's like well you know it's not just environmental issues there are all kinds of social issues that affect the people of god but have been politicized that make it so that pastors are um are reticent to address them in their sermons and in their congregations even though it's really important that they do so so i wanted to get a, a sort of a picture of the landscape So in 2017, I sent out a survey to mainline Protestant pastors to try to get a sense of, okay, well, well, what are they dealing with? So this would have been right after the election and right around the inauguration. And I got responses from um, about 1200 mainline Protestant pastors. So it was a, a great data set. And I asked them all kinds of questions like, what did you preach about in 2016? What are you planning to preach about in 2017? What topics are you not going to touch with a 10 foot pole? What what is the pushback that you've received when you've preached prophetically? What What are the experiences that you have? What kind of support are you looking for? So all of that gave me some really good information about what pastors need in order to talk about these issues of public concern. At the same time, as I was doing this survey, I was also introduced to a method of civil discourse called deliberative dialogue. And it was developed by the Kettering Foundation and the National Issues Forum Institute. And it's a way to bring people together to have a nonpartisan dialogue about social issues in a way that helps us look at different approaches weigh the pros and cons find our common values and think about what next steps we could take so i was leading a workshop with uh, or a pastor's workshop with somebody a pastor who was doing this method and then i would i came up with okay so if we did a sermon to introduce this then we had the dialogue and then there was a follow-up sermon it would be like a long arc that could uh, accompany the congregation through this uh, this subject rather than just a, a hit-and-run sermon where I've preached about it, I sit down, and that's the end of it. Pastors and lay leaders and congregants want to have conversation. They don't want the pulpit to be as a bully pulpit. They want to be able to engage these really important issues. So I developed this method, and I've trained, gosh, close to like probably now over 100 pastors and lay leaders in this, and it seems to be uh, an effective tool to be able to navigate the, the red-blue divide.
0: Awesome, do you have an example or could you tell us a story uh, about how this, is, this works in a, in a church?
3: Yes, so um, lots of stories, but um, one of my favorites is um, the, the, the hot topic, one of the hot topics back in 2018, 19 was immigration. And one of the students that I was teaching decided that he wanted to do the sermon dialogue sermon method using the immigration issue guide. And it just so happened that his congregation um, was a, a, nesting church for an immigrant congregation, but the two groups never really talked to each other. Like they let them use the building, but there was never really any conversation. So the student not only did the deliberative dialogue, but invited the members of that nesting congregation to be part of it too. So through the dialogue, they listen to each other. They, the dialogue starts by sharing personal experiences. So we get beyond the, the Fox News, MSNBC spin to ask, how does this issue affect you and your loved ones and your community? So we're really grounding in, in personal narrative and story. And then when they look at the different approaches to dealing with the immigration issue, they come up with these common values and next steps. And one, of, one of the things that is beautiful about this process is it's very contextual. So what may happen in one church would be very different than another church. So in this particular congregation, one of the things that they realized was, you know, we don't have any signs in Spanish that say where the bathrooms are. We don't have, you know, what if we just put up signage in both languages? Well, that's really easy to do. It's a sign of hospitality. It doesn't cost anything, right? And then uh, the the people in the uh, the nesting congregation said. You know, we have um, the Three Kings celebration coming up in January. You know, they, they celebrate Three Kings more than, than Christmas. We would love for your congregation to come be a part of our celebration. That's wonderful. You know, so one thing led to another, and, and it helped to build relationships and understanding between those congregations. And so, I mean, that's just one story. There, there, there are many, many other stories that I could tell, but that's, that's one of my favorite.
0: Awesome. Thank you.
1: We have noticed that you're doing some great work with how to choose what topic pastors and congregations look at and how do you choose that language that a preacher might use in a sermon. What have you found for um, advice that you would give us about looking at those topics?
3: That's a great question. I'm going to share a screen again. When we did the, um, the, the Wabash training with these 10 congregations, one of the things that we wanted to find out was, are there certain words that if they hear them if a parishioner hears them will make them react in a negative way so we gave a list of of certain words in 2019 and asked if you heard this word in a sermon would you think it was too political you're not quite sure or it's okay to hear and then we did the same thing in 2020 to see what the differences are. So let me show you this chart. And and let me just, before I show you, these were 10 Disciples of Christ congregations in the central uh, United States. So Kentucky, Ohio, and West Virginia, that's where these congregations came from. So what you can see here is the weighted average of certain terms and the ones that are at the top were the hottest topics, like too political. People said, I don't, I don't wanna hear this term in a sermon. And we're not even talking about subjects in general, just the word, okay? So you'll see in 2020, we added two words. We added the term Black Lives Matter and we added the term COVID-19 because that was really on the uh, on the rhetorical scene at that point. So what you can see here is that the hot terms Get hotter, the weighted averages go up. You can also see that Black Lives Matter comes in really hot. It's tied with corporations as the fourth hottest topic or hottest term. You see other terms that jump from 2019 to 2020 privilege, economy, climate change, race, and injustice. But you also see some terms that kind of cool off immigration, gender, and dialogue we think that immigration might have cooled off a little bit because Black Lives Matter became sort of the lightning rod term over the past year, whereas before immigration would have been much hotter. Now, the other thing we asked them was what sermon topics would you want to hear from your pastors and which ones do you not want to hear? So you can see this is topics that they most wanted to hear in sermons. On the left is 2019. On the right is 2020. You'll notice we added three terms, Black Lives Matter, COVID-19, and fiscal responsibility. We added that because uh, one of the members, a uh, couple of the members said in our training group said, you know, you've got a lot of capitalism and you've got a lot about, you know, economic justice, but you don't have anything about fiscal responsibility and you should put that in there. So we added that in. So a couple things to to observe here. First of all, certain topics went down in their volatility. So um, substance abuse or or, not volatility, certain terms went down in terms of the desire of these parishioners to hear it. So substance abuse went down, domestic abuse went down, Economic issues increased, immigration went down a little bit and race went up in terms of what they want to hear. But you'll remember back on the other screen, the term Black Lives Matter was one of the hottest topics. And another hot topic was um, if you look back, well, I can go back in a minute, but the, in the other screen, climate change is a hot term, but God's creation was one of the coolest terms. So one of the things that I'm interested in is can we preach sermons in a way that does not trigger people so that they don't hear the gospel? So I'll just show you the, the one more slide here. These were topics that they least want their pastor to address. Probably not a surprise, Um, but you'll see here, this is interesting, gun rights and gun violence went down for this group. Our hunch is that it might be because during the COVID-19 pandemic, there weren't kids in schools. There were no school shootings during that time, and it just didn't make the news. So that's our hunch. Um, immigration um, went down in terms of its volatility. Again, we think it's because it's just not as lightning rod an issue, but this is really interesting. Healthcare, now it was not a, you know, a, a, um, a high on the list last time, but noticed not one person marked it as something that they don't wanna hear in a sermon, which I think speaks to the fact that COVID-19 has shown us how important healthcare is. And um, and why having a, a good, solid healthcare system is important. So all that to say that pastors are challenged to think about, do I do sort of rhetorical code switching or would that be watering down my prophetic voice? Um, it depends upon the context you're in. It depends upon the experiences and the history of your congregation. But it just goes to show that these are things that pastors and congregations would do well to think about as they're working through these important social issues together. Yeah.
0: Good. Thank you. So interesting. Um, and if you would be able to share any of those graphics or information with us in, in any form, I'm sure we'd love to, to see that. If if, you're,
3: if it's not published yet, and you yeah need to well, hold on it's to it. Not not quite yet. Well, um, I'll be talking about it again when we get okay. to orders and fellowship because I'm I'm doing this now with uh, congregations in your conference.
0: Great. So
3: we're asking these trigger words and sermon topics. So by the time we get to uh, uh, January and February, you're going to see these, but they're going to be for your people. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Yep.
0: That's great. Thank you.
3: Well, Nancy, um, I'd love to hear uh,
0: from you a little bit about about what you Well, you hope that the work that she's talking about, how could that make a difference here in our conference um, in in the ministries of the Great Plains?
2: Well, uh, uh, a simple thing is, is for the cabinet and the bishop to hear less complaints about what their pastors are preaching about. I mean, I think ultimately um, it's about um, helping clergy to know a positive way to address the, the social concerns. That are prevalent at the at any given time, or that are on their that are part of what they are passionate about, like just like Leah is passionate about environmental concerns. Um, but to do so in a way that leads to dialogue in their church, rather than a sermon that stands alone um, and just raises people's anxiety and anger because they feel that the sermon was directed to them. Um, but instead, it opens up dialogue so that the church body um, has conversation together about what their response should be as a as a as a church, rather than um, a pastor kind of di- trying to direct what the church should do. I just think it has the potential to lead to a whole lot healthier relationship, and that will spill over into other places in church life where conflicts arise, um, whether it's you know, new carpet in the sanctuary, or, um, you know, what a, a building addition or renovation is going to look like. Um, I just think there's a, a whole lot of potential for developing a model of conversation in the church life.
0: Yeah, building, building the muscles for, for, converse, for civil conversation.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. We just have yeah. to
0: practice that. Yeah. Right, right, exactly.
1: And to you, Dr. Shade, as we're doing this work and you're working with the clergy of the Great Plains Conference and the congregations over these next several months, can you tell us a little bit more about that and what you expect to see as a result?
3: I'm going to be working with 12 pastors in the conference and training them in the sermon dialogue sermon method. And then they're going to practice this. In their congregations, before we get to orders and fellowship, I'm going to coach them all along the way, and they will get to choose what topic. You know, choosing this with their uh, with their councils what topic would be good for us to be introduced to this method of civil discourse and what is something that we can, we can talk about. Uh, one of the things I, I advise is to consider whether you want a cool, warm or hot topic, depending on the, the volatility of your congregation, it's history with conflict, that sort of thing. So I'm working with them on that. And then when we get to orders and fellowship, Everybody who participates in that will get a chance to be part of a deliberative dialogue. We're going to do one on a topic called the church's role in a divided society. And this will help people think about different ways we can approach this question. Like, do we think that the church should just be a refuge from talking about these issues and just focus on the spiritual? Or do we see church... Um, Is there a role for the church to be a mediator and and host these important conversations? Or should the church focus on practicing its prophetic voice in the public square? What are the pros and cons? What are the benefits and and the drawbacks of each of those? There's no right or wrong answer, and it could depend upon the topic that we're talking about. But the idea is people will get introduced to this and say, okay, this is a, it's a structure, it's a way to have a conversation where we establish ground rules about how we talk respectfully to each other. We learn to listen deeply to each other and hear the values and the common ground that undergirds our passions and think about how we might move forward as a church, as a um, as a district, as a, as a conference. And then these 12 pastors will be trained to train other pastors to do the sermon dialogue sermon method in their congregations, because you all have like a thousand churches in your conference and there's only one of me. So um, until they've developed cloning technology, um, that limits me. But I talked with Nancy and I was like, well, what if we trained trainers And she said, that's a great idea. So that's why we're doing this model so that they can then uh, replicate this and other congregations can try it out. And we're gonna be doing uh, surveys with these 12 congregations and the 12 pastors, and seeing what what's the baseline right now with how things are with people's attitudes about the church and social issues. And then we're going to do it again in 12 months after they've had a chance to try this sermon dialogue sermon method. And what differences did we see? Um, one of the things that we noticed with the with the Wabash trainees is that remember one of those terms was dialogue. The term dialogue, while it wasn't a real hot term, it cooled off in 2020, which indicates to us that the more people experience healthy, constructive dialogue and normalize these kinds of conversations, the more they may be willing to engage. And then this helps the body of Christ not to be divided, but to build up.
1: I, and focus for some of our clergy, what do you hope will be a result of this season of work together?
2: I see this as an opportunity to to, um, to provide clergy with a next level of preaching training. Um, many of our clergy, of course, have been many years past seminary or past courses study, and we don't have a whole lot of requirements for while you're in seminary for preaching courses, you know, one or two courses um, of preaching is all that we have. And so it's it's sometimes it's a challenge to find something that engages you as a pastor that will uh, develop new skills. And for for our clergy, I really see this as an opportunity for them to do that, um, as well as to give them to the courage to um, speak prophetically rather than um, to not do so. Um, because they don't want to risk unsettling their congregation. So I think it's an opportunity to um, have the courage to try something they haven't. And um, for our congregations, I think also what Leah's method does is to help open their understanding of the nature of the church by understanding the radicalness of of, sermon, of scripture that they see throughout the Old and the New Testament where um, where scriptures... Uh, Tell us the story of those who were uh, dealing with issues that were happening around them and and seeing that that's what we are called to be as Christians, as people who are ready to to be like those faithful people we remember in the stories from scripture and, and willing to engage into some challenging places.
0: That's great. Thank you uh, for for that leadership and casting that vision for us. I think it's really um, important for us to, as we navigate this season. Well, Leah, we've kind of talked about the phrase, you know, prophetic preaching, and this is something I think maybe not every preacher feels, uh, you know, welling up in their, as a fire in their bones, and sometimes I think we think of prophetic preaching as dropping a hot topic. Um, Okay, that's not what you're talking about (laughs) here. Can you help us differentiate uh, between what, what the kind of prophetic preaching is that you're talking about here?
3: That's a great question, right? Most people, when they hear, I should say, some people, when they hear the term prophetic preaching, have visions of John the Baptist in his camel's hair cloak and eating the locusts and, you know, sort of a fire and brimstone, judgmental kind of thing, and that is one aspect of prophetic preaching, but The term prophet really is about casting the vision that God has for us. It's proclaiming that we're on a path that does not lead to wholeness and healing, that it's leading to harm and to unfairness and to um, a dangerous rupture in the relationship between people and between people and God, and between people and creation itself. And so a prophetic word names that this is happening, calls attention to it, and says, God wants something better for us. How might we hear God's call for us to take part in uh, tikkun olam, as, the, as our Jewish cousins say, uh, the repairs of the world, the repairs of the breach. How might we do that? Sometimes it means calling to task those who are in power and have control over the resources. Sometimes it means naming aspects of systems and structures that are harming people. That's what makes people uncomfortable, because if they hear that as a personal attack, that's when it can get very tense. So it's important to separate a prophetic critique of um, systemic sin from a from um, criticizing individuals who might be caught up in this system. And that's why dialogue is helpful, because we can tease some of that apart to say, you know, there's a lot of problems that the church sometimes are dealing with, um, but a lot of times we're more in the rescue mode, and we're not always looking at the, the upstreams, upstream issues that are causing these downstream problems. So how might we as a church do a both and when it comes to helping to heal the world?
1: This is such important work that you have laid out for us. What role does trust play in doing this work as we engage in these difficult
3: conversations? Trust is everything. If there is no trust between the pastor and the congregation, it's going to be very difficult to talk about these topics because if you don't feel that there that you're that you are loved that you are accepted that you belong that you are a child of god who yeah you may have your faults but you're if you're not accepted then you'll get defensive and this is for both pastor and congregation so one of the things that we've noticed is that pastors who have not been in their congregations for a long period of time Sometimes it's more difficult to, to, to talk about these tough issues because they don't know where the landmines are <laughs> and they just haven't had as much of an opportunity to establish those relationships. Relationships are what help to establish trust. So when we are visiting people and praying for them in the hospital when we're doing the overnight with the youth, when we're marrying, when we're baptizing, all of these things help to weave together those strands of trust over time. And they allow for a pastor and a congregation to have that tough talk when, when needed, because we know that it's not about criticizing somebody and demeaning their personhood. It's really asking how can we be better? How can we be the people that God has called us to be? And when we do that, and we we do it in a, in a loving, but again, prophetic way, then that has the, the, the chance to say, okay, we can model here in this congregation, what that looks like. And when God's spirit is able to move, because we allow it to move, incredible healing, incredible good work can happen. So Establishing that trust is really, really critical.
0: Yeah. And what you're talking about seems easier when you're in person with one another, <laughs> when we're all in the same room. We're unfortunately for many of us, we're just, we don't have the the ability to be physically present, but, but are there some things we can do in this kind of technologically, you know, mediated society and the, just the season that we're in right now?
3: We're really learning as we go on this, and and I have to say, in the years that I've been working with clergy and teaching, I've never seen the kind of strain on relationships that the COVID-19 pandemic has caused. Um, The pastors that I am talking to are saying things like, I don't understand why people are pushing back on things like masks. I don't understand this. People who were my strongest supporters have turned and I don't, uh, you know, the ground has shifted, the relationships have ruptured and pastors are really trying to figure out how do I have those trusting relationships? How can I visit someone through a screen where I can't see all of the body language, where I can't hold their hand? where I can't give them a hug, where I can't, you know, be in their physical presence. We've been reduced from a, a 3D encounter to a 2D, a two dimensional. And that is really difficult. What, um, When what I'm hearing from those who are seem to be navigating it a little bit better, um, are the intentional one-on-ones with people. It takes a lot of time, I will say that. And a lot of pastors are feeling overextended because they're spending so much time just trying to figure out how to do worship and now trying to do it both ways, both online and in person. And they're working harder than they ever have and trying to um, have those one on ones with people, especially if they're not willing, I mean, the parishioners, some parishioners are a little bit technophobic. And so trying to talk via Zoom feels really uncomfortable. Um, so, uh, but, you know, a handwritten letter can sometimes help. I know a lot of pastors who are doing that sort of thing. And those letters just to say, here's, uh, you know, you're in my heart, you're in my prayers. I know we're not always agreeing, but I want you to know that I I value you, I cherish you, and I want us to see this church to to survive this and to really thrive. Um, And and then the other thing too is um, phone calls. If you don't want to do Zoom, do a phone call. Sometimes that's easier. We don't have to see somebody, but you're going to have at least the vocal connection. Find as many ways as possible to keep those relationships going.
0: That's great. Thank you so much. That's really great advice. And I think it does invite all of us um, to to kind of relax a little bit, to recognize that that there is so much, but we can start really small and start really simple. So thank you, thank you for that invitation.
1: Welcome back, everyone. We want to give you a chance that if you have any questions or comments that are bubbling up from what you've been experiencing or thinking about, invite you to put that into the chat box so we can um, explore those together. Also, if you have any next steps that you are exploring, invite you to put those in the chat box as well for our folks to to explore together. One question that has come in um, for Dr. Shade, we'd like to ask, how many people responded to the Words
3: in Sermons survey? Can you share a little bit about that? Yes, uh, we had... um about 400 in the 2019 survey. And we had about 230 in the follow-up survey. One of the congregations did have to drop out because their pastor uh, moved on to another position. And um, we found that um, people are really screened out. (laughs) So we think that might've dropped our numbers a little bit. Um, but it was still a a pretty good response rate um, from those 10 congregations. Terrific. Thank you.
1: And as if any more comments or questions come in, we will welcome those. As those are bubbling up, invite um, both of you, Nancy and Leah, is there anything that you would like to share with us that has not yet been said in our time together today? Nancy, we'll begin with you.
2: Yes, thanks. Um, I just want to share with everyone on the call today that um, I'm working on the next publicity for Orders and Fellowship and registration will be open when that comes out, but also it this uh, email that you'll receive will re- have with it a coupon code for a 30% discount on Leah's book. So if you have not ordered it yet, wait till that comes, and then you can receive that discount on it. So want to make that available. Leah, worked with her publisher
1: to get that for us. So we're very appreciative of that. Terrific. Thank you so much. And thanks for making that possible. Um, a question that has come in. What is the geography or the districts of the pastors who have been selected for the training? Can anyone speak to that?
2: I can do that. Um, the let me pull up my list exactly. I think they represent about seven of our districts. Um, we invite invited people let me tell you how the trainers were selected. the tr- the district superintendents made, recommendations. We wanted people who were in ministry a minimum of five years and also those who had, um, who the DSs felt were were excellent preachers and had um, um, some recognition within the district and were respected by the other clergy in the district. So I invited about 27 people, I believe, were on my list um, that I sent out the email and told them it was, you know, basically a first come, first serve, so that um, those who were responded immediately, quickly were, you know, um, the first twelve that we took. And so um, we represent four, five, six, seven, seven districts altogether across out of our seventeen. So there isn't a person from every district, but we do anticipate that these workshops are likely going to be virtual. Um, at least this spring. And so um, it really doesn't matter where a person is at, um, they'll be able to join the one that works into their schedule. So um, that's how, how they were selected and how they responded. And I will say I was so surprised because I had the first response was within 30 minutes of when I sent out the invitation email. So it was exciting to see people really engaging with this opportunity to number one, be, um, be trained by Leah in, in the model, which is of course a wonderful opportunity, but then also to be willing to be um, a leader of workshops for the other clergy in our conference.
3: And I've met with all but one. Thank I've you. got one more to do tomorrow. One more. I'm doing pre-training interviews with uh, with all of the, the these twelve clergy, and I, I just have to tell you how impressed I am with the with the clergy that that I'm that I have met so far. Um, th- their pastoral heart is so apparent. Um, And also for some of them, their their struggles with how to navigate this really fraught time. And um, one of the things that I found, and I've done this training with, you know, many, many groups, many classes and clergy groups. One of the things that's most important is the work that they do with each other on workshopping their sermons in the sermon dialogue sermon process, and um, and they they practice moderating the deliberative dialogue, and so they give each other pointers and that sort of thing. So they learn as much from each other as they all learn from me, and and then after orders and fellowship, um, I will be continuing to coach all of these pastors, all 12 pastors, as they are doing the training for others. So I'm, um, you know, I will be accompanying you all every step of the way.
1: Terrific. Thank you so much for lining them up and for the work that is, is ahead. Leah, is there anything else that you would like to say that you haven't had a chance to say yet?
3: Just that, um, I just have to tell you the, 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 the vision and the, the foresight that your Bishop and, and that Nancy have had to really equip the pastors and the congregations in this conference is so impressive to me because we are in such an unprecedented time finding ways to equip people is so important. I, I hear from a lot of pastors that when we were in seminary, this it's we weren't really trained in how to do these kinds of things. You know, we were trained to do Bible study. We were trained to do pastoral care. We were trained to, um, to do social justice, but we weren't always trained about how do you talk with somebody who has a very different idea about the world than you do? And so this kind of Ongoing continuing education for them, I think, will be uh, helpful for their congregations and really for the whole conference. And, and I'm hoping that, you know, when we come around to this next year and, and uh, maybe I'll be back with you all and we'll see what the results are of all of this, that we'll see um, some some positive changes that, that the, the church is responding to God's call to be faithful and to show up and to be there. In the midst of this difficult time, knowing that God's presence and God's grace is promised to us, even in the midst of the messiness, God's grace is sure.
0: Well, thank you so much. You just have, are helping us kind of craft an imagination for hopefulness on the other side of hard conversations, and we we appreciate the witness that you're bearing um, to to having navigated some of these very challenging waters. So you're you're reminding us to engage um, with a place from a place of of uh, intentionality, uh, not reactiveness, and and openness in this conversation. So. Uh, you're just really giving us the ability to prepare our hearts and our minds for for the season ahead um, and for some intentional kind of uh, communal even through our our zoom mediated reality um, some just a way we can learn together so we're so grateful for that Well, you have shared with us some resources, and so we'll be putting those on our episode page, and people can see more uh, some of your own writing, but just some things that you've shared on on how we might preach, um, and and teach, and and share, in some some dialogue, some conversation together. So we'll be posting that uh, when when this episode is posted as well. And we will be having another conversation in a couple of weeks. So we want to just invite uh, anybody who's here joining us today to to sign up to join us on Thursday, November 12th at 1030 a.m. We're going to be talking about health as it relates to physical and spiritual health, uh, specifically, particularly for clergy leaders. We're calling this conversation Health habits, and hibernation. We are on the front edge of winter, um, and it just is harder to be active in this season. And also, we've never navigated winter in the midst of a pandemic, um, where it just is a little bit more complicated and challenging as we think about that. So we're gonna talk about a couple of folks who can help us think about this. This um, really is important for us um, as we guard against burnout um, and some of the ways that that stress and um, And our anxiety can, can really flare up during this season. So we want to, we want to invite anybody who is willing to, to join us, um, to, to have that conversation here in just a couple of weeks, you can register for that and other upcoming conversations and find more resources at our website, greatplainsumc.org slash at dash the dash threshold.
3: As we
1: close today, we'd like to give our guests a final word. Nancy and Leah, can you share with us a word of encouragement or hope that you offer this day? Nancy, we'll begin with you. Goodness. Um,
3: This too will pass. (laughs) I'm just going to read a little bit from the end of my book where I say, on the day after Jesus's crucifixion. The women did something that we need to do. They showed up. The women were confused and anguished, perhaps angry and certainly in deep grief. But they went to the tomb because they were faithful. They went to perform the rituals, the sacred actions and words that were part of their people's faith for centuries. We too are called to show up and be faithful.
1: For our conversation today about navigating ministry in liminal time. You can find links to join future conversations at greatplainsumc.org/at-the-threshold or subscribe to our podcast, At the Threshold, on Podbean or Apple Podcasts. As for today, we hope that you've been able to see our new reality a bit clearer, asked a few new questions, and been encouraged and in the days ahead, we hope that you're finding some light at the threshold.